Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone who can hear the sound of my voice. I am so appreciative that you chose to join me today to hear this fabulous conversation that will help you one day close the gap, get you from where you are now to where you want to be so that you will see the kind of success as a leader, whether you have a title and you're an executive or as an individual and you're just leading your life to the full, living your life to the fullest that you can. So today's podcast is with somebody who took the time to ask over 500 people what they thought about one subject. So imagine oftentimes as leaders, when you're on the path to leadership development, people will tell you, go out and ask other people, get different perspectives, learn to listen, not just hear, but to actually listen to what people say, glean from that something that is powerful and useful for you as well as the people around you. But how often do we take the time to do that? I mean, we might do it with one friend, we might do it with a colleague, we may do it in the moment of, you know, when we're at the airport or on a plane, and we've got some downtime. But imagine being intentional on wanting to learn one thought, one idea, and to go across the world and interview 500 thought leaders. Well, that's my guest today, Mitchell Levy. He is the founder of Credibility Nation, And he interviewed 500 thought leaders from across the world on their credibility. This led him to uncover amazing insights on what credibility really is and why it's important in today's world, making him the go-to expert on credibility. Imagine we all talk about the word credibility, but do we really know what that means? Not from an intellectual point of view, but from a behavioral point of view. Mitchell has been a Silicon Valley-based thought leadership evangelist for over 25 years. He's been the chairman of the board for the NASDAQ-listed company and is a TEDx commencement speaker. He is also an international best-selling author with over 60 books and has created 20 businesses in Silicon Valley, including four publishing companies that have published over 750 books. You often hear me say, there are those people who have read the book, and there are those people who have actually learned the lessons and have can apply the what they've learned into action and turn that action into results, and the results compound to a life of success. And Mitchell is one of those individuals. With that, how you doing, Mitchell? <laughs> I'm doing great. I so love how you think and process and synthesize. So thank you for that lovely intro. <laughs> Oh, you know, we all have our strengths and everybody does it. I, I, I've i just learned over time that people can't read your mind. So you got to tell them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's a novel thought. <laughs> well, particularly as a, as a good leader, you know, it's it's important to, for people to see you. I like the real you. And yeah. uh, 
and know where you're going and know what it means and know what you're going to do behind the closed door as well as what's in front of the in front of them. Yeah. And to actually see and hear, to use those senses. Because one of the things we find is, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about this, is, you know, there's, we get into habits. And so what we see is the same thing over and over again. You know, confirmation bias is the quote unquote technical term for it, is that after a while we form a thought and then that thought just generates and the only thing we can see is whatever that thought is. But there's also the idea of actually how did, what does it take to change your mind? And when you're not just admitting that I need to change my mind, but actually changing your mind. And as growing individuals, isn't that what part of learning to live is all about is that? The hard part, I think, is this idea of credibility because people don't necessarily like us changing. And so it sometimes keeps us stuck. So you interviewed 500 people. First of all, what made you decide to dedicate that much time? And then what did you learn? (laughs) Oh, that this we could be here for a while on that. But for me personally, I have published over 750 books. And when I did my first TED Talk, which was at the end of 2017, what I realized is I was actually serving the wrong audience. So the, by the time 2017 came along, if you wanted what we were a little more like a traditional publisher, you'd write, we publish. And, and at that, at, by that time, if you were going to write your own book in 2017, it was either because it was cathartic. Mm-hmm. or potentially you had the feeling that your content was so amazing, you didn't have to do any marketing mm-hmm. and it would sell itself mm-hmm. or nobody else in the world could possibly capture your thoughts. And it turns out by that time, I'm realizing this is not the audience I want to work with anymore. So in 2018, I transferred my company into a done-for-you book publishing company. Okay. And and essentially, a short answer, four months from the time we start, we've ghostwritten, published, distributed, made somebody a- an Amazon best-selling author, and, and they've spent 10 hours. We press the easy button. 2019, I realized I needed to have a new brand. I called myself a thought leader architect before. By the way, nobody knew what that meant. And, <laughs> and, and so I, I went to a friend's place who does branding in two days. We spend two days and I, and we came up with that term global credibility expert. Two months after that, I kind of had a Napoleon Hill moment. I woke up one morning and I thought, Hmm, Napoleon Hill, 500 millionaires think and grow rich. If Mitchell Levy interviewed 500 thought leaders on credibility, I'd be able to write a book. Mm-hmm. All right. I have at the time, I knew I had two superpowers. One was pulling out the genius from somebody's head, and the second was building systems. So while still running my publishing company, I built a system that in 12 months, typically Tuesday, Wednesday afternoons, I interviewed 500 people on thought leadership. And, and it was, so so one was so I could write a book. But, but the real answer is the gift I received was something I believe I've been called to do my entire life. The gift I received was the understanding of really what credibility is. And at the end of the day, how, I, by the way, I call dubious the opposite of credible. So okay. how dubious the lessons we've been taught so far. So, so let me give you a couple of stats. Here's the crazy, there's, and I got five, right? And this is what came out of the interviews. 2% of the people who signed up for interviews didn't show up, i.e. they have zero integrity and they didn't say why before or afterwards. Mm-hmm. 
So I know. And you say that and you go, uh huh, uh huh. And, and when I talk to other podcasters, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll say, Mitchell, that's normal, or those are really good numbers. Mm -hmm. So to that response, let me say one thing that is not normal. Mm. Just to be, it is not acceptable that you sign up to do something and you don't show up, period. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's also interesting 4% of the people I interviewed came after the hour for a live show. Mm. So think about it. we start a show at two o'clock and they show up at 205. You're being interviewed by the global credibility expert on your credibility, and you think it's credible to come after the hour for a live show. Yeah. Okay. Once again, duh. <laughs> okay. A third stat overall, 23% of the people came late. Now, what in this particular case, because it's a live show, I defined late as coming within three minutes of the hour. Okay. But just, you know, even though we weren't doing a live show, I'm sitting on the line 10 minutes ahead of time because right. I just, no, I, I want to be here. I want to be ready. I also wanted to get my brain wrapped around hanging out with you. Because mm -hmm. to me, you need 100% of me and and I and I had to stop thinking about all the other stuff that happened before this meeting. 23% mm -hmm. of the people came late. All right, now let me give you two more. What's interesting to me is and this one is a double one and 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 I and I know there's a piece of this one we'll pack later. When people would initially come into the into their green room with me, so before we actually hit the live button, only 50% of the people came into the green room and showed me their heart. And so then we'd have enough of a conversation and I tell them that my job is to make them shine. And I was able to help that number go from 50% to 80%. So that when we did the interview, 80% of people were really showing me who they were. Now, here's what's really fascinating. And this was one of those things that the book was mostly written when I, when I had this massive aha moment. And that is, I used to say that you need to show up very well online as well as offline. So online sort of meaning in person when you're in front of people and that was sort of the online stuff and offline meaning, oh, I'm sorry, the, the opposite way around. So let's get that. So online meaning when you're when you're on a website in social media, offline meaning when you're physically in person. Okay. And then what I realized is that doesn't make sense because particularly with the Zoom stuff. Yeah. Right. So I changed it to synchronous versus asynchronous. Mm -hmm. So what many people say is put me in front of people and I'm great. They get to see me. They get to feel me. And so what happened is I got to really get to know people very well. Mm -hmm. And then I would go back and see how they show up asynchronously. Mm -hmm. so you get to see people synchronously. Well, you get to interact and ask questions. Then I go back to say, how do you show up asynchronously? 80% of the people had really yucky online presence, really yucky asynchronous presence. I, it may not have looked bad. But I couldn't tell who they were. Mm. So right. how do you know the difference? I mean, what are some of the nuances that you could see that I'm sure the person wasn't even aware of? Ah, can I? I'm going to answer that question, but I want to answer that question with the last stat. And then we'll okay. come back to that particular okay. question. So here's the last stat. So I have five questions I asked. And nowadays, it's five questions in five minutes. So I'm okay. still doing the interviews. We're at 570-ish. The first question is what is your CPOP? What is your customer point of pain? Mm -hmm. And 98% of the people I interviewed could not articulate who they served and the pain point they addressed in without getting some clarity. And so what we're looking for, for what I call a CPOP, customer point of pain, typically it's one to 10 words. It's one to three seconds. 
It's something that is so short, it's memorable, it's memorable, it's shareable. And here's where many people make mistakes. They want to give all of things so they can tell, tell it all. They typically people gravitate to their value proposition. A CPOP is from the customer perspective, what is the pain point that they're addressing? Or what is the pleasure point they're they wanting to achieve? So mine as an example is humans that want to be seen as credible. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question is, what did I see when I go to their website? If I get to unravel who somebody really is, when I get to see as a servant leader who they're serving, Mm -hmm. I then go back to their website or their LinkedIn profile and I can't see that. Ah, It's not not reinforced. They they did the stuff that marketing people say they should do. That is the buzzwords of today, but it doesn't show who they are. doesn't show their heart, doesn't show their servant leadership, doesn't show their intent and commitment to do the right thing. And and subsequently, they look like everyone else, even though they may have pretty pictures on their webpage. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And and so, you know, we talk about when you want to see your blind spots, you want to go and ask other people. And so what you just said is we're asking a lot of people, but they're basically making us look like everybody else. We're losing our own level of authenticity in the noise of being like everyone else. <laughs> yeah. And and so what happened is, obviously, I got the book, right? So Credibility Nation is the name of the book. What what really happened, and this was about 95% of the way through the interviews, I now have 452 video testimonials. Mm-hmm. And Denise, they all go like this. Uh, Mitchell, I've been looking for clarity for the last one, two, 10, 12 years, and mm-hmm. you gave it to me in five minutes. Mm-hmm. All right. So just so you know, I now have a new superpower. It's called clarity. <laughs> I'm really good. I have to tell you, I'm really, really good at that. And still every day I'm learning more and fine tuning more. Okay. What's interesting is I had a choice. I had a choice of following the, the and I'm just going to say the dubious lessons I've learned when I had my first male mentor, which was my first boss out of, out of, out of B school. I had a lesson. I had a choice of following his lesson. And that is, do I actually really walk on water? If I can help somebody find something they've been looking for for 12 years and five minutes, do I walk on water? And the answer is, yeah, I'm really good at what I do, but I don't walk on water. What what I've learned, what was unraveled is something that is just so easy to teach and to learn. And I just fine-tuned it by practicing it as many times as I have. Right, right, right. And so we're taught to approach how we interact with others. First of all, we're taught not to show who we are. Yes. We're taught to to put this pomp and circumstance on. We're taught to tell to 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 say something that's like get your thirty second elevator pitch. No, give me something in three seconds that's going to be memorable. Right. Right. And and so it was in that transition when I realized that this was something that we could teach. I started looking at all the things we're taught. From the time we first enter schooling, when we're when our or charismatic ideas and thoughts and and our ability to see the world with beauty mm-hmm. starts getting beaten down all the way through high school and college and the the entire educational system, which is structured around something other than where it needs to be today. Mm-hmm. And so that's the the birth of credibility nation is well, credibility is in essence who you are fundamentally at your core. Mm-hmm. And so how can we be us mm-hmm. and let people see us? Because here's the cool part. If people see you, 
I mean, really, who you are, whether you're the boss or you're their subordinate, or whether or not you're just the person at the checkout counter or the grocery store, it's okay that you both end up loving each other. And you mm-hmm. say those words. Mm-hmm. By the way, if you're in HR, you have to be careful about what you say where. Mm-hmm. But the coolest thing in the world, and this is how I end the chapter of, of my book, and this is one of the fundamental components of Credibility Nation, is when you get to see people, get to know them, you get to like them, you get to respect them, you get to love them. Yeah. And how cool would it be if the people that you worked with, and as a matter of fact, you can now not call work, work, why don't you call work, play, the people you play with, people who you love and they love you back. Yeah, I'm fascinated because I think you're right. We learn so many ways of trying to fit into some model that I'm never sure actually worked ever. But we there's enough marketing around it and we told it enough that we think it worked, right? So you talk about dubious and you talk about credibility and that for the most part, we're taught how to be dubious. And it takes courage is what I heard to be credible because that's being vulnerable, being who you are, having tough enough skin, or maybe it's just enough care and concern, self-compassion, that those people who will criticize you, you just kind of go, hey, you know, your good opinion of me is of no concern of mine, kind of thinking on it. But let's talk about the same dubious. You, one of the things you mentioned is HR says you can't tell everybody you love them. Yeah, that's probably true, primarily because People have different perspectives. And so when you say love to one person, it doesn't doesn't mean agape love, which is that you're a human being and I love you because you're a human being. We take it down to a sexual nature. And that's because that's all we've ever been taught. In the workplace, how do you rise above the noise that says, I must be like this as a leader? Employees are treated like that. HR the you know the legal ramifications of say that you have to do these things and i and i ask this question particularly because no one can grow without feedback and yet we resist getting feedback in the workplace all the time we don't like people telling us our strengths and or our weaknesses we you know we like to say oh yeah I, you know i like the strengths i you know strength finders all of these things but we get really nervous when people start saying, you know, you're really good at this. This is your secret power. This is da-da-da-da. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? I'm not so good over here. And we immediately kind of move to the, I need to grow over here rather than being able to sit and take it in. When you're in an environment and say just a team leader, I'm so I'm not even talking about an executive that might be talking about a whole company, but just a team leader. You've got five people, 10 people, 20 people that report to you. You've now decided we need to cut the the, our dubious nature down, our interactions, it's not our nature, but our interactions down. And I want to raise up this idea of credibility. How do I make the shift? Mm, no, that's a great question. Well, uh, first, we, we need to redefine what the word is. Okay. And we need to understand what it is and, and, and how it works. And, and so what happens, let, because I want to answer your question, well, I'm going to do this one super quick. Mm-hmm. Credibility, the way it's defined in the dictionary, is only one third accurate. And there's so many different reasons for it. But credibility is currently defined as the ability to be trusted. Okay. The quality in which we're trusted. What credibility really is, the quality in which you are known, mm-hmm. the quality in which you're liked, mm-hmm. and the quality in which you're trusted. Mm-hmm. And by known, what I'm referring to is the fact that I know who you are and not that I know of you. So if you're inside a company and you're a leader, you want to know who people are. If people are inside of their work world, Mm -hmm. are touting 
the importance of integrity and doing the right thing and being the right person. And then their private life, they're cheating on their spouse. Guess what? That doesn't mix. That doesn't match. The separation that we have between those that work and play, one of the the real benefits that COVID brought to us, so many negative things that came out of COVID, but one of the real benefits is it exacerbated the transformation of who we are as a human species. How do you mean that? Well, we still live in the industrial age. Yeah. Okay. Which when people say, well, technology has been around for 30 years, we're, right. we're in something else. No, the way we're taught, the way we're structured is to be, you remember that cartoon Popeye, you know, yeah. the big, the big arms. So we're taught to be Popeye. We're taught to go on an assembly line and screw a lug nut for our entire life. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, we'll theoretically be taken care of by the company. Yeah. We're molded in the vision of Ford and the types of people who brought about the industrial age. Okay. Okay. We need to move to something else. Mm-hmm. The way I'd like to say it is in the old days, mm-hmm. prior to the industrial age, we lived in a village economy. Mm-hmm. In a small village, villagers needed to rely on each other because there wasn't much from the outside world and mm-hmm. people used a barter system and, and were able to support each other. Right. When we move to, and let now things go in cycles, when we move to the global village, mm-hmm. what happens is people need to see you. They need mm-hmm. to see who you are and how you interact and what type of person you are. So if you look at look at either the, the book, Credibility Nation, or the TED Talk, or, or the just the updated definition, there are 10 components of credibility under the pillars of no like, and trust. Okay. So let's, let's answer your question directly. How do you yeah. get, how do we start moving? Well, under the, under the pillar of being known, probably the most important thing is being a servant leader, mm-hmm. right? So it's, there are four elements, being a servant leader, having the intent and commitment to do the right thing and having integrity. What does it mean to be a servant leader? Well, it means that you're, you're there not to necessarily beat the whip to make sure people do their job. You're there to support those people so they have a much more fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. Not just work life, life. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's interesting is now let's focus on the the last part on being trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Being trustworthy, there are there are four components as well. Vulnerability. I have integrity again, because integrity is that important. Vulnerability, integrity, authenticity, and something that came out of the interviews, which is really crazy, coachability. So to be trusted, I have to be coachable. Mm-hmm. One of the best things you could do if you're a manager of, in your example, 10 people, and you want people to see who you are, mm-hmm. well, be transparent in who you are and what you do, and do something that you know may not be perfectly right, and call on the person in your organization in a public forum to say, hey, did I do this right? What, what should I do better? Mm-hmm. And to demonstrate publicly that you're coachable. Right. To actually have somebody who knows the answer better than you, because if they work for you, by definition, they should know more than you on the area they're working on and have them correct you publicly and have you accept, I be vulnerable mm-hmm. and be coachable mm-hmm. and accept, oh, yeah, you're right. I was wrong. This is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then and then make a statement and then point it out. Say to that person, hey, thank you so much. I'm really glad. And, and everyone else. Listen, when we're public, I don't want you to embarrass me. So try not to do that. Mm -hmm. When I'm private, when you and I are private, tell me anything you want. There's no holds bar because ultimately I want to be a better version of me and I want you to be a better version of you. 
So I, I think one of the things that people get hesitant or causes them to be hesitant is not knowing the difference between what should I say in private and what can I say in public? So can you give us some guidance on, you know, we really don't want to tell our boss they're being a jerk in, pro- in public, yet if there's, you know, there's other things that we, in public, we, as a leader, we do want our people to say to us in public. That's because what it does is it increases trust, right? I, I, so give I, some guidance on that's public, a great, private feedback. That's a great question. A- a- absolutely amazing question because it's causing me to think about something I never thought about before. So mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> so here's a really simple way to think about this. Let's say that the boss is actually being a jerk in, in public and they need to be told that. Mm-hmm. If and and this is and let let me let me change that premise. Let's say that the the boss is doing something that is questionable, not a hundred percent being a jerk. Mm-hmm. Because if the person's a hundred percent being a jerk, you need to stand up for yourself. Period. Okay. Period. Okay. There's 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 no reason that someone should be wrong or rude or inhuman, or in this case, I like I call everything dubious, but there's no reason that somebody should be horrible in public. If this is your boss, they do not have the right to berate you publicly. Okay. That's not that's not the power you get with a boss. So let's change the, the scenario. A boss is saying something that just is questionable. Now, this is where it gets interesting. If the boss and you, whoever the person's thinking about, has not talked about this before, and they may or may not be comfortable being told publicly they're wrong, mm-hmm. why don't you take that private first time out? Okay. Right? And, and I the only reason I say that is they... If you came to them privately and you okay. said, listen, boss, I, I wanted to tell you about this. I want to do it publicly. I don't want to do this to make me look good. I want to do this because I think it's a, a phenomenal opportunity for you. For you, Here's what I think it to, you know, so you walk through the scenario, you get the person, your boss to understand it, and then ask the question, mm-hmm. would you like me to do this at least with our group? I won't do it big. But do you want me to do this with a group? Because if I start doing this with you, probably maybe some of the other people will as well. And that will increase their trust in you. That will increase their desire, their knowing that you have the right intent and commitment to do the right thing. And so it's it's a working relationship. It's mm-hmm. not, it's and and working relationship like like a good marriage. Things happen, like mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. Uh, for us. Uh, having a child, <laughs> the only time we ever really argued was how to raise our our son, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and and we had one one sort of at one point in time, really early in our in our marriage, one time where we actually had not a knockdown blowout, but we had a, we had a fight, and, and we're like we both looked at each other and said we don't like that. Mm-hmm. I don't like that, and she said I don't like that. Let's not do that again, okay? <laughs> so we never did that again, right? And. And and it was just there were just rules of engagement right that you need to have and so what I'd say is unless the rules of engagement have been clearly articulated by the boss to someone else to to the team that you can do this publicly take it private so that you could encourage the boss to allow the rules of engagement to be hey listen within our group you could say whatever you want whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. A couple one, things. Yeah, yeah, I got it. But there are just so many things that were going through my head in the application of what you said. Because for a boss or anyone to be able to accept the feedback, public or private, they have to be pretty self-assured of themselves. Because I could see, you know, we're living in highly polarized times right now. 
And it's easy to say in private, hey, you know, Ms. Boss, I need to give you some feedback that, you know, that wasn't okay what you said out there or what you said out there was inappropriate. You know, it could be something as simple and maybe it's not simple, but something as clean as somebody says, you know what, I, I'm not wearing a mask and I'm not vaccined. I don't have a vaccine and people who wear masks are jerks. So it could be something as simple as, as or as Maybe not simple, but something is. I was going to say that is that is anything but simple. Yeah, <laughs> that's a polarizing but, statement. That just, but that's that, a, but I hear you. That's a very easy thing for somebody to say because within their belief system, right? They think that's normal, right? To you know, to to say to to just you know, you have a woman on the staff. The idea comes up. You know how ideas kind of float around, and suddenly you know a guy is saying, "I think this is a great eye," and Jenny just had said that, and no one heard her. So we get these kind of things that happen in real life, and it's particularly at the beginning when we're trying to change the behavior to become less dubious, as you're calling it. And people's feelings are tied up in, well, I'm, you know, I'm right. I have the right to have this opinion. I, you know, you can't, I want to be authentic and I'm being authentic with you at this moment. How do you kind of de-escalate that argument? Because it, it often does go from, the ability for me to make a choice about wearing a mask or not, or I heard an idea. I wasn't conscious it was Jenny, but here's the idea, or I did steal it from her and, you know, whatever that goes to, to, I have the right to have an idea. I have a right to say this. I have a right to, which is tied up in our self-esteem, which is tied up in our competitive nature, some people's competitive nature. How Mm. do you handle those in the beginning where the ground rules, because that's kind of what you're talking about. Ground rules are going to be we're moving to being credible. We're we're moving to a place where we're going to give credit to people when it is their idea that we're going to say you can have the right to speak, but you don't have the right to impose an idea or a belief system on someone else. But we all have to learn to work together. How do you how does that work? You know, I, I, I've still got to say this again. I love your thought process because you, you're causing me to think differently. So I'm going to give you an answer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the answer that popped in my head. What I'm going to say is ask me again when I've done this 500 times, and I'm sure I will have learned and give you a different answer. Okay. It not be better, but it'll be different with more practical experience. What got me, when you started thinking, two things popped into my head. One was your belief and think about the, how do you value somebody? How do you trust somebody? How do you, what is that? What is that value system that allows you to feel like somebody is credible? So there, there are two elements. There there are many more than that, but, but one is your, your belief system. Mm -hmm. Like where are you raised? Who do you get your information from? What do you believe today? Yep. For instance, if you are red, you have a different red Republican red, or you have a different belief system than mm-hmm. if you're blue Democrat, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and the information sources are different, and you're continually reinforced that your belief system is right. Right. right? The second is shared experiences. Mm-hmm. Right. So what's interesting is your job as a leader is, is to to allow people to have all the right relevant shared experiences mm-hmm. and without stepping on other people's belief systems. Mm-hmm. So there's this fine dance you need to make. 
And whether that dance is Republican, Democrat, religious and one one religious sector versus another, what you have to recognize in the world, it is not as simple as black and white. Right. It's not as simple as right or wrong, heaven or hell, good or bad, credible or dubious. Mm-hmm. By the way, just the reason I picked the word dubious is because it's kind of a fun word. And I will raise my hand and say, this is, by the way, not a raise my hand, cut the tape. I'm going to raise my hand and say, I am dubious at least once a day, I think. And I either self-correct right. or I've surrounded myself with accountability partners that let me know. And I go, oh, yeah. I shouldn't do that again. Sorry, I did that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a fine line that needs to be navigated. Mm -hmm. And what I'm going to fundamentally say, spend the time and energy to think about what credibility is Mm -hmm. from the pillars of credibility. And and you use an example, and I didn't talk about the pillar of like yet. And so I'll, I'll share that one. And when you do that, Talk from this third-party perspective of what Mitchell Levy or or Denise Cooper thinks is credible, right? And have that conversation in third person first to try to 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 create an environment where you could have a positive shared group experience. Okay, that's you. That so that's how I'm going to answer that. Let me answer the question of you stealing somebody else's idea. Okay, so uh, a don't do that. <laughs> you don't need to, <laughs> right? If you're a servant leader wanting to serve others. And in this particular case, if you're part of a group, the group needs to succeed, not you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you're part of this group, then what happens is the the second pillar of credibility is the quality in which you're liked. And th- there are two components there. It is, I call it sharing cred dust or sharing your stage. Mm-hmm. And the other is showing up when you show up. And that mm-hmm. is essentially coming early, coming prepared, coming with your heart. Mm-hmm. So on the on the cred dust is this magic that happens when you share somebody else's ideas, thoughts, or actions. Right. So if, if it's somebody else's idea, don't don't raise your hand and say it's yours. Raise your hand and say, you know what Susie just said? She just said this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we should listen to Susie. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? First, you've reinforced Susie's ideas. Second, Susie will love you for the rest of her life. Yep. Third, there are other people who are feeling Susie's pain of not being heard. And when you highlight Susie, they're going to take their empathetic feelings right. and start thinking about you in a different way. Right. There's so much value of being able to listen recognize somebody else's good idea and share somebody else's ideas in situations that the the untold benefits will will last for years. Yeah. And what you're talking about is I call it relevant. When it's making me feel relevant. Because if I feel relevant, then some of the other stuff just kind of it washes away. I feel like, okay, I must have permission to speak because I feel like I have a relevant com- comment here. Because our interactions together, you have valued what I've said, valued how I've shown up, valued who I really am. And so this idea of how do we make people feel relevant on your team uh, on a regular basis, it's, it's an intentional way of being, being credible versus being dubious. But it's really about how do I, how do I make sure that as the team leader, everyone is in, interacting with each other in a way that makes them feel um, credible or relevant. And that's the key feeling that we should be going for is that even if I have an idea that's very different 
than than what's happening because I will say this it's the same genesis of the argument of whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask. There are some ideas as a team that we're going to toss all kinds of ideas out and they don't get accepted or they don't get worked on or they don't get they don't bubble up as the best thought for the moment. And we still have to feel like, well, even if my idea wasn't the accepted idea, I still feel relevant and I feel okay to share an idea that may or may not be accepted in the organization. And so I think when we can flip, if I hear you right, if we can kind of flip the way we think about how we interact, this know you, like you, trust you, is really about how do I make you feel relevant as a leader? And whether you have the executive title, the CEO title or not, it's really about how do we make people feel relevant no matter what it is their idea is, because, you know, we say all the time, no question is a bad idea, but a leader's role, and I, and I also juxtaposition that to the leader's job, in essence, is to do four things. You can put a whole lot of stuff around it. The first is you have to set the vision, where are we headed for and how we're going to get there. The next is you have to manage resources. And these managing resources is delegation and prioritization. And if we look at the word prioritization, it's one, not 10. It's one. The next is you have to follow up and ensure follow through. Those are the four things that leaders are managing. Direction, resources, ensuring that work gets done. That easy, at least conceptually. How you do it is the stuff that we've been talking about for the last 30, 45 minutes in terms of making people feel relevant, know, like, and trust, that that we call out things that when we're incongruent, we say we do this, but we actually do this. So manage lack of integrity be vulnerable enough to hear the feedback so that when we are, because sometimes we don't even recognize when we're out of integrity, we can mm. hear it. And that the person who is is capable of saying it to us, that we honor that person. Is that, did I kind of sum it up? You you did great. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to add one last thing to your list of four. Yeah. We do want to get work done, but we want to get work done humanely. Yeah. And and what I what I my final thought process in the in the TED talk uh, that I did was we are losing our humanity year over year over year and if you're looking at what's going on it's crazy and there's a there's a formula there's a prescription if you want us to bring back our humanity all we have to do by the way this is easier said than done is we need to act credibly yeah. Right. Actually, we need to act more humanely mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah. And so I, I I want the leader to do everything you say. And I want to make sure the leader gets work done. And I want I want them to do it with a team that wants to be part of the yeah. team, that they're excited about it. They do feel relevant and they feel in their heart that they're in the right place doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, either things need to get changed so they can or they need to go somewhere else where. They choices. are doing the right thing and fearing exactly. their heart and right. Make a choice. And your my choice is not a reflection on you. It's actually a reflection on me. Wow. There is so much. And we just scratched the surface in terms of what, <laughs> yes, what this is about. Right. You know, I mean, we could have gone through the, the three pillars, no like and trust, because everybody or if you're in sales, everybody says that. And now it's kind of bled over into leadership. You have to know, like and trust. But having deep thoughts and deep conversation around what know, like, and trust means and what and how do you behave in a way that generates that kind of credibility is a, is an immense job. So unfortunately, we're at the end. And so how do people find you and tell us the title of the book? And is it on Amazon? What's up? So the 
The title of the book and the credibility community is called Credibility Nation. Mm -hmm. So go to Amazon, paperback, hardcover. For those that like to listen, it's Audible, uh, Kindle. And go to Credibility Nation and learn incremental things on what is it that you can do to be more credible? What is it that you can do to surround yourself? And the cool part about that is surround yourself with the right type of people. Yeah, surround yeah. yourself with the type of people that you can actually know, like, and trust. I'll give you one last one last hit to think through. I know we know the phrase, no like, trust. Yeah how it works in implementation, it's actually trust, no like. Trust uh -huh. you before I really get to know you. I can't like you till I really know you. So it's, I trust first, then I wanna get to know you. Once I get to know you, I can decide if I like you. Okay, now that is the idea of trust and how we choose to trust or not trust, that is another podcast. So at some point, <laughs> I mean, yeah, at some point we have to get back together just to talk about the idea of trust. I'd love to. How to how to unpack this idea of, and I think, and you're absolutely right, and the science bears out, that we trust first, safe, not safe, then everything else follows behind that. So at any rate, guys, you know the story. If you liked it, share it. If you don't like it, share it anyway, because you know it will be a great conversation and it will be a conversation where you will figure out how to close the gap, get from where you are now to where you want to be, find the success your way authentically on the path to becoming a better leader. With that, see ya. Thank you. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.